Good morning, friends. Welcome to Disciples Church this morning. It's good to be here with you. Uh, Pastor Stu is traveling, so you get me this morning. Um, and we are going to continue in the series that we started last week, Becoming Christians, talking about this idea of what would it look like if we became the kind of Christians who follow Jesus without hesitation and without um, just without those distractions. And so this morning we're going to be in John chapter 21, um, which, as Dan mentioned, is in the digital program, or if you have your physical Bible, we're going to start in verse 1 of John chapter 21. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the bow, many fish, and get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to him, Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. What about him, Lord? Peter 
just had this amazing experience with Jesus, right? The disciples all had an amazing encounter with the resurrected Jesus. They're out there fishing all night, catching nothing, and then Jesus appears, and they pull in this net full of fish. And then Peter has this very personal interaction with Jesus. Um, a lot of you are probably familiar with the story of how before the crucifixion, Peter denied Jesus three times, denied that he even knows, knew him. And now the resurrected Jesus comes to him and asks him three times, do you love me? And I'm, I'm, this is just my guessing, but I'm guessing that third time hurt Peter because Peter is remembering, I denied him three times and now he's asking me three times to confirm that I love him. And after all of this, right, after this whole interaction with Jesus, what does Peter do when Jesus says, follow me? He doesn't follow. He turns and looks back at John and says, well, what about him, God? Or Jesus, what about him? And maybe we'll argue that, well, maybe Peter was concerned for his friend. What's going to happen to John? But I think the way Jesus responds concludes us in that that's not really his motivation, that he was concerned about something else because Jesus says, What's it to you? Why, why are you worrying about what I'm going to do with John? Worry about yourself. Um, but it's not like that emotion of you know, jealousy and, and vying for position was unique to Peter. Uh, during Jesus' ministry, the disciples had several moments where they were, ar- they were all arguing, who's going to be first? Who gets to sit next to Jesus when he comes into his power? Who, who's the favorite? <laughs> You know, my kids do this every day. Well, what it, she got that? Well, I need to get that too because it needs to be fair. Well, you're giving her attention. You need to give attention to me. What about me? What's happening with her? And all this idea of fairness is really, my kids are young, so that's the big thing with them. Is it fair? Is it equal? And when we get older, teenagers do that too, comparing themselves to other people. Is, is she prettier than I am? Is he more popular or better at football. What about him? What is he getting? What is she getting? And we're not any better as adults. You know, does that person have a better job than I do? Does that person have a bigger house than I do? A better car? What about him? What's, what's happening with them? We, we turn our focus outward. We abandon this contentment with our own lives. We abandon this contentment with who we are in ourselves and who we are in God because we focus on what's happening outside of us. Social media hasn't helped at all. Everything's on display now and we're all constantly looking at this perfected fake picture of what's going on in everybody else's life and oh, they, they must have it so much better than I do and, and it just pulls us in and sucks us into this outward focus. Um, but it's not, it's not new to us. It's not new to this time. It's not new to humanity. As we often do, if we look back to Genesis and back to the beginning, we'll see that this is a problem that's as old as humanity itself. So I want to take a quick look back in Genesis 4 at the story of Cain and Abel and the first, first instance of sibling rivalry in, in the Bible. In Genesis 4, chapter 4, verse 3, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? 
If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Sometimes I sympathize with Cain in this story. God had regard for Abel's offering and not for Cain's offering. And in, in biblical terms, the offering that Cain brought was an acceptable offering. Cain was a farmer. He brought the fruits of the land. But what Abel brought was the first fruit, the best lamb, and the best portion of it, the fat portion. And so God looked with regard on his offering, and Cain felt jealous. And I, I think I would have felt jealous too. Why not me, God? Um, I've been listening to this podcast series by the Bible Project called Firstborn, The Last Will Be First. And Tim Mackey, who is the one in the podcast who has all the PhDs, was talking about how this text reads in the Hebrew, that there is this unspoken impression that God had regard for, for Abel's offering first. And his interaction with Cain is reminding Abel there is still regard left for your offering if you wait. If you do what is right, if you are patient, will I not turn my face to you as well? Um, there's more of God's love than there, than there is of our need. God's love is infinite. God's blessing and bounty is infinite. It's not limited God's regard for Abel did not mean that there was nothing left for Cain. In Cain's response, we see that misunderstanding that we are so prone to, that if, if God has regard for someone first or for someone differently, there must not be anything left for me. We make this mistake that God's love is finite, that his blessing is limited when it's not. It is infinite. And so we take it upon ourselves to try to force his attention to us. Cain murders his brother Abel. We think about some of the other stories that happened between Jacob and Esau, where Jacob tricks and steals his way into a birthright that God already said he was going to give to him, but he wanted to, it to happen in his time and in his own way. We look at Abraham and Sarah, where God promised them a son, but they it doesn't happen in their time and in the way they want it, and they're worried that it's not going to happen at all, and so they force the issue, and Ishmael is born. And it just goes on and on throughout history, this mindset of scarcity, that there's not enough for me and for you, that God's love and God's blessing, there's just not enough of it to go around, and there's this attitude of fear in that, that maybe, maybe God doesn't love me as much as he loves you. Maybe God has something better for you than he has for me. And so what about him, Lord? What are you going to give to him? Is it better than what you're going to give to me? Will there be anything left for me after that? Scarcity and fear, that's not the kingdom that God operates in. He operates in a kingdom of abundance and love and if we trust this, if we trust in who God is at his core, a God of love, it changes everything about the way that we live in this world. Just a 
few chapters further along in Genesis, we see a, a beautiful example of what it looks like when somebody trusts in God and his promise and his provision. And it's actually a story of Abraham who has his moments where he doesn't trust, like we, I just mentioned. He has all these times where he tries to make things happen in his own way and he lives in this attitude of fear. But this one little snapshot in time is such a beautiful example in Genesis 13. Um, Abraham has gone out into the world because God has promised him, if you, if you go, I will bless you. I will give you the promised land. I will give you a place. And so Abraham's traveling um, to, the, to that place that he doesn't, know, he doesn't know where it is yet, but he is traveling. And so in Genesis 13, starting in verse 1, it says, So Abraham left Egypt and traveled north into the Negev along with his wife and Lot and all they owned. Um, Lot is his nephew. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. From the Negev, they continued traveling by stages toward Bethel, and they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai, where they had camped before. This was the same place where Abram had built the altar, and there he worshipped the Lord again. Lot, who was traveling with Abram, had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle, and many tents. But the land could not support both Abram and Lot with all their flocks and herds living so close together. So disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. At that time, the Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land. Finally, Abram said to Lot, Let's not allow this conflict to come between us and our herdsmen. After all, we are close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any selection of land you want, and we will separate. If you want the land to the left, then take the land, I'll take the land on the right. If you prefer the land to the right, then I'll go left. Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zoar. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. He went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. Abram was Lot's uncle. Lot was the son of Abram's older brother. And so we see this moment where Abram, as the older one, could have taken for himself what he wanted first. He is the one that God had told to go out into the land. And he could have said, okay, well, this is my opportunity. I will take the best land for myself, and that will be the fulfillment of God's promise. But instead, he says, no, no, you know what? Look around us. There's so much. There's enough for everybody. So Lot, you go ahead and you choose where you would like to go and I will wait and I will go the other way and I will trust that the God who has promised me a family that will be as many as the stars. I will trust in that promise. I will trust that no matter where I go, God is able to fulfill that promise. He's not concerned that Lot's going to take the best for himself and there will be nothing left. He's trusting in that path that God has put before him. And so as we start to come to the close of the morning, I want to come back to that story in John and that story of Peter and think about 
What does that tell us? What does that show us about living and trusting in that promise of God? And the first thing is that our God is a God of abundance, not scarcity. At the beginning of the story, Jesus provides all these fish for the disciples, reminding them that he provides. He feeds them a breakfast of fish and bread, which is the same meal that he took a tiny little bit of fish and a tiny little bit of bread and broke it into pieces and fed thousands, reminding them, I, I can provide. With a little, I can provide much. But it's not, it's not just about God providing for our physical needs because this isn't, oh, well, just trust in God and he's going to give you big houses and big cars and fancy things. No, God's so much more than that. That's, that's what the world will tell you is provision. That's what the world will say you need to chase after is all the nice things, possessions, security, wealth. God says, no, I can do so much more than that. You know, think about what Paul said, that I'm in jail, but I am content. I have nothing. Why? Because I have, I have Jesus. I don't need things. Um, you know, in Lamentations, it says that the steadfast love of the Lord never ends. His mercies are new every morning. God is inviting you into a kingdom that says, I don't, I don't need material things. My father provides for me. He clothes the flowers of the field and he provides food for the birds of the air. I don't need to hoard and take and compete with the people around me for God's affection, for God's provision, because there is enough. There is enough for all of us. The second reminder from this story is that you can't follow Jesus if you're not looking at Jesus. If Jesus says, follow me, and you turn around to look for John, where's John? What's, what's, what's John doing? Let's make sure that we get, take care of that first, right? If you are looking at your neighbors and your friends saying, what are, what are they doing? How is that going to affect me? Then your eyes are not on Jesus. Remember the story of Peter walking on water. He stepped out of the boat, and he walked on water as he watched Jesus. But the second his eyes Moved away from Jesus, he started to sink. Jesus is saying, Peter, eyes right here. Keep them on me. You know, the, there's the verse in Corinthians about the, the body of Christ and how there's all these different parts and pieces of the body and none is more important than the other. It may look to you like someone else, the mission that God has called them to is, is better than what you're getting. It's not. It's just different. God's blessing and love. God loves you. God loves me. He loves us all. Like there's, there's enough of God's love to go around and he does not view you any less than the person next to you. Because you're precious to him. You're his child. He loves you. And he has a plan for you. I'm going to invite the band to come back on stage as we kind of talk about this last little point that as followers of Jesus, we have a mission. He tells Peter three times, if you love me, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. But the thing is, how, how you do that is going to be different for all of us. Sue was talking last week about how we are, we are all missionaries. We're all called to share the gospel, to share the love of God with 
everyone in our lives, but how we live that out, the people that we impact, that's different for everyone. Peter's mission was not the same as John's. Don't worry about him. Don't worry about what he's doing. Follow me. Follow the path that I have given to you. We can't complete the mission that God has given specifically to us, to our unique person, if we're living in fear that someone's doing something better than we are, or if we're living in fear that we're not going to have enough for ourselves. When we live in that truth, that that the steadfast love of God never ends, that he loves me, that he loves you, that there's enough, then when Jesus says, follow me, you can follow him. When God asks, who am I going to send? You'll be ready to say, here I am, right here, Lord, send me. I'm not worried about what anybody else is doing. What I hear what you are calling me to, send me out, and I will do the work that you have called me to. I will feed your sheep. I will share that love with everyone that I encounter. And that is a much better life that we are called to than this constant striving and competing and fighting for something that's already ours, that God has already given to us. He loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us, each and every one of us. That's how much he loves us. That doesn't have a limitation. That is unlimited love that he is just asking you to accept. That's all you have to do is accept it. You don't have to fight for it. You don't have to compete for it. You just have to accept what he's already given you. Let's close this morning in prayer, and then we're going to worship a little bit more. Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you. We thank you for your love, your unending love that you have for each and every one of us. And it never changes. We just praise you and we ask that you would remind us every day of that love and remind us to walk in that faith and that trust in your provision that God, you are a God who provides. In Jesus' name, amen.